1: This to me is like, like,
2: like the really fascinating material. We don't know
3: what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns.
4: I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The
1: story slowly grew into business.
4: But still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-blowing. We can't. Alright, welcome to back to good spirit normal guys. It's your host, Adam, and it's our Halloween show. Yay. With Mr. Rob Hello and Sir Fiel. Yes, sir. Rob, how's it going, man? We're <laughs> we're 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 here in in the studio again. Yeah, it's uh it's going good. Yeah. Yeah, life's life's good, you know. You only worked thirty hours over the course of two days, but other than that, you're alright. Well,
0: I yeah, and then I went straight back to work the next morning, and then I came straight home and slept for like fourteen hours. Holy crap! So now I'm good. Well, that's a fourteen hours (laughs) straight. No, it wasn't quite that. Okay, (laughs) but I I was (laughs) sitting.
4: That's a coma.
0: I was seriously in my in my recliner at like seven p.m. like nodding
4: off last night. Man, and Surfiel is here. Yep. What's up, man? Tired. Yeah, You've been putting up through. that stucco. Yeah. Doing construction.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> Rob, we'll have a, a kind of an announcement that you want to make at the end of the show. But first, we have the guest on the line. And this is a guest that I think no, needs no introduction. But uh, we haven't had on in over two years now, or almost two years. Uh, that's John Tenney. John, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, man.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Energy up, gentlemen. I know we're all tired and sick and whatever. But come on.
3: <laughs> thank, you, thank
4: you. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I know, we
3: need that. We need
4: that pep talk. Yeah, Rob isn't tired. He's only got 14 hours of sleep.
0: I'm good to go.
2: <laughs> all right, listen, team. We're gonna get amped up. We're going out there. We're doing this for the listeners.
4: <laughs> John, uh, man, it's been it's been a little bit, man, because the last time we had you on uh was i think november 2016 we had you on with craig talking about the oh, kennedy man.
2: assassination stuff yeah that was a long time ago holy crap
4: yeah it's been it's been a while so
2: yeah i mean i don't know really know what i've been doing it's actually flown it hasn't seemed like that long
4: i know i know right it's it's crazy cuz i was thinking to myself when was that was that 17 or 16 like the years just kind of meld together you know
2: <laughs> yeah for, well this show is that we're all getting older right
4: yeah yeah the first time i had you on was uh for the uh ghost show that you were on which
2: uh ghost talk yeah, ghost Talkers, that must have been 2014 so yeah it years was ago.
4: it was and then i had you on a few weeks later after that and I've actually I you know I got to remedy this because I don't know how this happened but uh, now you suggested Craig to us and we've had Craig on like more times than we've had you on.
2: <laughs> yeah, you probably talked to Craig more than I have.
4: <laughs> and he lives like down the street from you or something.
2: Oh yeah, crazy. yeah, he's literally maybe 4 miles away from my house.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I listened to your uh, old podcast, Realm of the Weird, which are you going to update that? Is is there, are you still, is that still existent? Like, I mean, it's obviously, it's still online, but are you still, is it still active for you
2: or? Yeah. Realm of the Weird is a, is a kind of odd dog in the world of podcasts because when I did it, I did it as a way to kind of archive the strangest cases that I've ever had. And so, you know, I, I did, I think at the time when it first came out, I did 10 and I did them all pretty rapid fire. They all came out within like a year and a half. Yeah. And then I started digging through my archives and I found, you know, three or four more cases. And so I did three or four more episodes and it's the type of podcast. The reason it's odd is because, I can't just do one unless I find an old case that I think is interesting that that is a structured, cool narrative or something that I can make into a good story. You know, a lot of podcasts, you're either doing an interview or you have a lot of fictionalized podcasts where they can just kind of make up stories. Uh, you know, realm of the weirdos are my own personal cases. So it's like, unless something weird happens to me, or I find something that I forgot about in my files, I can't do another episode. So I think I did upload an episode last year. I, I, I uploaded uh, an episode. I think about a time traveler case that I dealt with once. Yeah, I think so it was as,
4: October. Yeah, I as think. cases yeah. come to
2: me, it gets updated, but not in any kind of common frequency.
4: Oh, okay. Well, I, th- I think that shows like your integrity too. Cause like, you're not just making shit up.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a big problem, right? Like, you know, it's one of those things where people tell me all the time that I need to do more realm, the weirds, And it was like, if, I, if I'm, if I was making stuff up, I would do them every month. I do one. So I do one a week. I can write scary stories like, right, uh, you know, but the fact that, you know, I'm waiting to do something just shows you, the kind of mindset that is in the paranormal world where everybody needs to be scared all the time. Everybody always needs to find a ghost. Everybody always needs to catch an EVP. Like that's a trope that's been created by watching paranormal reality television. People see it on happening on TV and it's happening rapid fire and they don't realize that it's not happening rapid fire. It's, you know, you're watching a 44 minute television show that was filmed over the course of six or seven days. Mm-hmm. And so it seems rapid fire, but it's not.
3: Yeah. That, are you yeah, actively assume, yeah. are you actively looking for new cases or pursuing any of that research? Oh
2: yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh I, I still take cases on all the time. I still have uh actually the next realm of the weird that I do will be about this um mannequin head that I found underneath a local mall near my house. Uh the real kind of quick uh syn- like synopsis of the case is there was a mall near my house where there were Complaints from women customers getting grabbed and having weird, obnoxious and obscene, uh, I don't even know, like they were, their butts were being grabbed, their boobs were being grabbed, and, and people were whispering obscene things in their ears. And so I got called in because the, the mall wanted to find out if something was happening. They had security camera footage of the women reacting, and there was obviously no one around them. This had gone on for a few months. So they gave me permission to investigate, you know, a couple more months went by, I couldn't find anything, I couldn't, none of it made any sense, and uh, eventually I got permission, kind of, to crawl around in the sub-sub-basement of the mall, and around this corner, way back by an air duct on a kind of earthen floor, I found this mannequin head that was surrounded <laughs> with like yellow rubber gloves and index cards that said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And what? I took all that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was creepy. It was like one of the strangest things I've ever found. And uh, so I, I asked them if I could take it and I said, yeah, get it out of here. So I brought it all to my house. And as soon as it left the mall, all of the stuff, all of the incidents at the mall stopped happening.
3: Did any, anything grab your butt?
2: Uh no it seems the uh it seems to be mostly uh only affecting to women and then it's strange because in my house over the past 30 years or whatever I have all my weird like thoughts about uh protection rituals and keeping myself secure and safe and like once something's in my house it's cut off from the rest of the kind of supernatural world like it doesn't have access to that stuff Nothing's ever followed me home. Stuff has tried to get in my house. I hear my windows and doors bang all the time. And, you know, I, little kids in my neighborhood see people standing on the roof of my house. And, Whoa. like, there's all that weird. Yeah, but but nothing ever happens in my house. So, like, once it came into my house, it was kind of like the plug was pulled on whatever it was attached to.
4: So, I mean, you're comfortable with having this kind of stuff in your house then? <laughs>
2: I mean, I am. Nobody that comes into my house is comfortable with seeing <laughs> yeah. all this stuff sitting around. So, this mannequin you know, head,
3: it's like a, uh, it looks, d- does it look like it was, like it's a ritualistic type of thing? That so, someone, it looks, yeah.
2: It, it looks, it looks like it's from probably, I asked a, a couple friends of mine who work in the kind of uh, hair care makeup industry to kind of, if they could give me a timetable on when the head is from. And they said probably the early 90s. And it's really melted and distorted and, and weird-looking, and there's big chunks missing out of the back of its head, and someone put an eyeball in it, like a, a wooden eyeball, and they painted its face uh, with you know black makeup. And it, it looks, in my mind, because I couldn't really ever get any closure on how it had gotten down there or why it was down there, but in my mind, it was really probably a place that someone who works there probably used to go and be with themselves, uh, and, and look at this mannequin head and the really, Uh I mean, as if the whole thing isn't screwed up, uh, I had some friends come over and we did like an investigation, like an EVP session with the head. And it kept telling us that I had forgotten something. This is months later after I had been in my house for months. And so I went, got permission to go back down. I crawled back in the place where I found the mannequin head and I dug around exactly where it was at, down in the dirt, and I found an envelope. And in the envelope were all these scissor-clipped-out clippings of, like, women's legs and eyes and lips, (laughs) faces, and breasts. Wow. Like, super serial killer. Yeah,
3: that's really interesting. Uh
4: Wow. So, do you have a theory that I mean, is, is this a ghost? Is this like an imprint on the
2: environment? I think more than anything, like, I think that someone, like I said, probably went down there and spent some special time with themselves and they probably did that a lot. And that was probably their special place. Quality time. Quality time, quality, quality adult time down there. Yeah. And, uh. I think that that person probably has passed away and they went back there because that was the place that they felt, you know, kind of safe and secure. And, uh, what's interesting is, you know, when this, when I tell the story, there's this really kind of dark, uh, you know, there's these clippings of women's legs and the head looks like it's been beat up a bunch. And there's all these weird notes that say, I love you. I love you. I love you surrounding. And it's real kind of dark, but when I started to think about it, I was like, this is actually really sad. Like this was the best time that someone had was sitting down on this, you know, earth floor, hidden back underneath a mall, uh, trying to feel like a normal person or have a relationship with someone. It's actually really sad more than it is scary and dark.
4: Yeah. Here's the question. Um, do you, could it be that this person that was going there and having their, self-love time that, I mean, that it couldn't even be like the spirit of the person, but it could have been that they using all that energy, all that kind of sexual energy that that could have imbued that object with something kind of like a thought form or a topa effect.
2: Sure. For sure. And what's interesting now, uh, now that I have all of the, aside from having the head and having the letter and or the, the note cards and the envelope with all the clippings and stuff in it. What's interesting is that I've done uh, investigations with the head and with the cursory objects that are near it. And they seem to have two different personalities. The, the head, the mannequin head actually did seem to uh, kind of create uh, this thought form female voice, that appears when I do investigations with it. And then the mm. note cards is this very aggressive male voice that comes out over and over again.
4: Huh? Whoa. Yeah,
3: That's freaky.
2: So yeah, I take on cases. Still.
4: <laughs> you know, stuff like that makes me think of just like, we are more, we could be more powerful than we actually think. Like we give more of a, we have so much more of a uh, impact on our environment than we give ourselves credit for.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, even in the The, kind of simplest sense, when I'm doing lectures and stuff and talking to people and trying to break it down and make it the most easy to understand, like, you know, if we, if we look at just nature in and of itself, right. Like we understand that there are, there is a thing that's called an echo, you know, voices can do that. Sound does it very commonly for us where, you know, you can hear a a, a gunshot and the further away you get, it just takes longer for that sound to get to you. Right. It just takes time to travel through the air for those waves to hit you. And so it's like, When we put all all of our mental energy and all of our emotional energy into stuff, who's to say that it's not just taking time to reach back, you know, temporally? It might be moving forward and backward as well. There's so many options that are open as to how the experiences that we're having in this seemingly shared reality are interacting with each other. I mean, that just accounts for a lot of things like telepathy and precognition. We might just and retrocognition you know we might be affecting things in the past by our our emotions in the future,
4: yeah, you've got one case uh, that you talk about in realm with, in in the podcast that illustrates that perfectly. well, two cases really, but the children that one yeah that one was pretty interesting. Like there's, yeah. there's more than just like, that's, that's not easily explained by just saying that's human spirits.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have a woman who's living, an elderly woman who's living in a house and she's experiencing what she thinks are the ghosts of children. And year, years later, after she passes away, you have children living in the house experiencing what they think is the kind of spirit of the elderly woman that I dealt with in the past. And, you know, when you talk about the past and the present and ghosts and spirits, what are you really talking about? Because, you know, when I was dealing with the woman in, you know, in my past now, when I was dealing with her and she was experiencing what she thought were ghosts, those children weren't born yet. And yet she was experiencing them as kind of ghost children, this precognitive effect of children that were going to live in the house in the future. And by the time the children are living in the house, she's dead. So they're experiencing her, her alive in the past. So it gets very Doctor Who timey-wimey wonky with when you start dealing with who are we contacting when we're talking about the spirit world and ghosts and, and that type of thing.
3: That's strange. It makes me think of some of the kind of like Eastern stuff and Buddhist stuff where, you know, like there the ideas of karma and that your actions are you know, forever um echoing over and over again. And so it's, it's really,
2: really yeah. weird stuff. I mean, I agree. I mean and the thing is is like I was saying earlier, like that echo isn't doesn't necessarily have to go in a single direction. Right. I mean, we can we can talk about you know, a generalized interest and people become interested in things. But, like, when I was growing up, there really, as even as a researcher, as a, you know, maybe 18, 19-year-old researcher into this stuff, I swear to God there were only, like, four or five cases of, of the Mothman back in the 1960s. And now there are, you know... 20, 30 cases of the Mothman happening in the sixties. How did, how did it go from only being four or five to 20 or 30? Did we change that in the future? Did our interest in it in the future have some kind of retrocognitive effect to where we actually changed the past and now it's become a bigger thing than it was because we're affecting the past in the future.
4: <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like our intention. Well, I've, I've always viewed it like the whole and this is I didn't make this up, but I think I've heard it somewhere, that where somebody did the illustration of time or like an event is like a rock being thrown into into a water. And so you have the ripples that go to the left, ripples that go to the right, up and then, you know, up and down. And so you've got a ripple effect that can go either away, either forward or backwards in time something that's big enough to cause that
2: for and, sure. And I mean, with, with exactly what you're talking about. If you drop a, if you drop a pebble in a water glass, you know, when you see that big, spl- like kind of splash of water that comes up from where you dropped the rock in, that's because the waves went out, hit the edge of the glass, bounced back to where it began and changed the, where the pebble hit in the water. So it even went backwards as well as going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that
4: that that whole thing is just amazing. Well, I, I remember the the there was that Ghost Hunters show where they were at some motel in I think New Hampshire or Vermont, somewhere in New England, and they were. Supposedly, they were in the princess room, where the just
2: some. Prim- oh, that's at the Mount, Mount Mount Washington Hotel.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was like the first Bretton Woods conference or something was there. But yeah. they had, um, they got this recording of this woman as they're saying, um, can you hear us? You hear her saying like, of course I can hear you. Where are you? Is what she says. And by immediate reaction was like, that's something that if that is true, first of all, and then B, that's something to do with time. That's not like a deceased person.
2: Right. Yeah, there's an episode of Ghost. I think it was the for one of the first episodes of Ghost Stalkers, and they don't show us. You know, obviously a lot gets cut out because it's television, so they didn't show us having this conversation. But the first time that Chad, the other guy on the show with me, went in, yep. uh, he's doing his very first EVP session, and there's this voice that says, "Chad, be a man." and he, he gets really like upset that this thing is challenging him. And then he pushes through the rest of the night and he kind of fights through his fear and makes it. And then we had this conversation the next morning, like I said, it doesn't get shown on television, but I told Chad, I said, you know, if you listen to that tape, if you listen to that recording, that voice sounds like you. Mm. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, do you know who knows that you're here on this date at this time? And he goes, no, who? And I said, you in the future, like after you die, maybe you came back here to tell yourself what you needed to hear to get through the rest of the night. And he was like, man, I just started doing this. You can't start me down roads like this.
3: (laughs) Well then that's also like, if it isn't, if it's working the other way and we're not just seeing something in our world, but we're actually kind of invading the past and they're seeing us. And I guess and that's with like maybe cryptozoological creatures and things like that too. Maybe, you know, we're the ones bleeding into their world and we're, you know, we're both seeing each other and they're kind of like, you know, what the hell are you doing here also?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, just as a, you know, a kind of jokey conversation I was having, I was sitting with um, Adam Barry and Amy Bruni and Grant Wilson at one of these events and we were sitting at the table and Amy's daughter was sitting next to her. And she said something about dinosaurs and Amy looked across the table and she said, John Tenney, she goes, you would know the answer to this question if there is an answer. And she goes, why aren't there dinosaur ghosts? And I looked at Amy and I said, how do you know there's not? Maybe that's the explanation for Sasquatch. Maybe that's the Loch Ness Monster and the Thunderbird. I mean, maybe we're catching ghosts of prehistoric animals and and not knowing how to talk about it in our normal vernacular.
4: That's Rob's uh, pet theory, right? <laughs> Isn't that what you always say? Um,
0: not precisely like that. That's that's a really interesting take on it. <clears throat> I think it's more of a um, uh, sort of like a residual genetic memory thing. You know, like we we lived alongside. Uh, other hominid species for a long time and we competed with them for food and stuff. And it might be kind of ingrained in us to uh, to fear them and to compete with them and to things like that. And that, that that's kind of where I think Bigfoot might be. But as far as, yeah, Thunderbirds yeah, I mean, and Loch Ness Monster and stuff goes, that's a really kind of cool take on
1: it.
2: I'm, I'm with you there too, Rob. I mean, that's one of the things that interests me the most about all of this, right? Is like, and I think you guys as well and and your listeners, is that, you know, when I talk about Bigfoot, or ghosts, or I mean, when, when you, I'm having, even though it seems like a paranormal or cryptozoological discussion, like we're all of these radio shows and lectures that we do and that we, we go to, I mean, they're philosophical conversations. We're, we're talking about the philosophy of, of the reality of nature. And when you have a philosophical conversation, you're supposed to start that conversation where everybody sits down and we talk about what our words are going to mean. That way we're all on the same page. We've never had those discussions about these creatures and these entities and these energies and these experiences. And so when I say ghost, everybody has their preconceived notion of what they think I mean when I say ghost and I have my own. Yeah. When I talk about Bigfoot, there are a ton of people who think that, like, honestly, and you guys know this, there are a ton of people, when you talk about Bigfoot, they think that Bigfoot is a singular creature, like there's only one, and it exists somewhere <laughs> in the world.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, just really across so, the whole world, man.
2: <laughs> right? And so, so when I start talking about the fact that yeah, maybe there are ten thousand biological creatures that are walking in the, on the on the earth that are considered Bigfoot, but there are also these kind of ancient, uh, you know, First Nations. First, uh, Aboriginal inhabitants of the Americas legends of a spirit type creature. Plus, we start talking about racial memory. Plus, we start talking about tulpas. Plus, we start talking about the ghosts of those creatures. Like those, all are still falling under the category for me of Bigfoot. Yep.
4: Well, so what uh, Tim Renner said uh, the the couple shows ago about the Native Americans and how they had this conception of Bigfoot and we tend to lump that all together as this is what the native Americans believed, but their belief about this creature was as diverse as how many tribes there were. They had no
2: agreement Absolutely. on it.
3: And it just reflected them trying to figure it out also. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because they were having a similar experiences to us. And so they were talking about it in the way that they knew. And like you said, you know, language wise and, there's as much diversity amongst those people as there are amongst people today.
4: Do you think that this phenomenon, whatever it is, or this, I kind of like to throw around the word, this this intelligence, that whatever it is, it it tends to show itself as what we kind of want to, it thinks we want to see. Do you think there's an element of that?
2: So I think what I have started to talk about more recently in the past few years, because it was just always how it sat in my brain. And I think that I can now get into discussions with this about at a much larger point than I ever could, because I think people are more open to hearing it is when I think about all of these things, whether it's ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptids of any sort, aliens, whatever, um, the way that I've always internalized and thought about it to myself is that the only thing that the, I've ever really understood about the universe, if I could even slightly begin to understand it, the only thing I've ever really understood is that the universe loves to make things, destroy things and make things like it's just a, a, this creator, like the universe just creates, creates and destroys infinitely. And it very much has seemed to me over the past 30 years that that's a form of a game like the simplest way that i can think about it is a game it's it's playing a game it's making stuff and then de- tearing it down and then making more stuff and it's just kind of playing and i think that all of those things bigfoot ufo's coincidences uh everything that happens in our universe is a form of gameplay and i think that throughout our lives Every individual at a certain point in their life, the universe taps you on the shoulder randomly and and asks you, do you want to play? Do you want to get involved? And it's up to you to get involved. And then as you play, the universe will get weirder and weirder because it's Mm. trying to play with you. It's trying to give you experiences. And so whether that's UFOs or Bigfoot or cryptids or ghosts or whatever it is, the universe will play. And I think that on top of that, I think that there are other players in the game. I think there are people who have been playing longer and understand it better.
4: I think that's kind of where John Kill came down on a lot of this stuff as well.
2: Sure, when he was talking yeah. about extraterrestrials extra, and stuff, yeah. there are other game players.
4: So they would be they would just be the other ones playing the game at a at a higher level.
2: Sure. And sometimes they get put into your game because you reach a higher level too. And whether you call them ultra terrestrials or ascended masters or whatever you're calling them, whatever language you're using and whatever nomenclature you're using to describe them, the universe is like, oh, this person is at this point in the game. Let's introduce more players into their game.
4: We were talking about video games before. Uh, we started that's almost like what we
2: did yeah for sure (laughs) that's an easier way to think about it too is that we're all playing this big virtual game yeah that is called life and reality and you're leveling up you know if you see a ufo you've reached level two if you start to interact with the aliens you're at level six you know, if you start to be able to contact them and interact, you're getting higher and higher. What, what's funny t- to me, though, is when I think about it in that sense, uh, you guys as well as your listeners know that there's always this point where since the universe is playing, it, it makes some weird random moves, and it gives you the opportunity to kind of fall over the edge or to step back and assess your situation. And a lot of times in situations more likely than not people love to fall over the edge
4: that's true that's true what what about like something like somebody like a is someone that play that can really play this game well do you think that that would be considered someone like almost like a shaman
2: type figure i think shaman, i think again absolutely i think when you're talking about shaman when you're talking about uh, magic practitioners at a very high level. Um, You know, even people I think who are actually sensitive and, and empathetic and psychic mediumistic. Uh, Some people have been given different tools and different places on the playing board, but some people can learn to develop those skills as a player. And I mean, I think that's not for nothing. I don't think I'm a very high level player, but I think that every, you know, every time I think Nothing can get weirder. The universe is like here's a mannequin head that talks, you know, <laughs> in a female
4: voice. <laughs> yeah, here's something completely random and, and weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's see how you how you play with how play, play that move. You know, you had
4: a, you had a number of intriguing cases in here. Another one that I wanted to hit, and I thought that this one could explain a lot why people in homes that are brand new might all of a sudden have a haunting. And that's the one uh, that you found about the haunted garage door.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I had a husband and a wife who had a brand new home and they were getting some pretty odd, weird, sick illness and uh, aggression feelings, but only in their garage. And when I went out and investigated, I couldn't find anything that would have accounted for any of that. And then, It was actually while I was in the garage, I think while I was smoking, I leaned against the wall and started to feel really strange and odd and out of character. uh, It seemed to be in only certain pieces of wood in the garage. When you touched certain pieces of wood or made contact or were close to certain pieces of wood in the garage, you would get these really odd feelings. And so I started tracking down who had built the home and what the structure was built from, and I eventually discovered that the wood from the garage had been taken from the Pontiac uh, in Michigan, the Pontiac State Mental Home. It was reclaimed wood, and it had the garage had been built, not the house, but the garage had been built with parts of reclaimed wood from this mental home. And that was the only thing I could come up with, is that somehow or another this energy had been stored in that wood from that place.
1: Yeah,
4: because that's, that's something that like you hear so much about. Like, well, my house is new. I shouldn't have any kind of problem.
2: Right. And then I think I talk about it in the episode of Realm of the Weird. The company that manufactured the wood and reclaimed the wood that built the garage, I mean, they also build furniture. So chairs and tables and all sorts of stuff from that same place are spread out across the world now. So, Who's to say that, you know, there isn't a a chair at your dining room table that the one that nobody likes to sit at for some reason uh, might be from that same place? And, you know, if that happens in one instance, who's to say it's not happening in thousands, if not millions of instances with different places and different reclaimed wood or different objects that come out of different places?
3: That's pretty interesting. I'm going to have to ask. uh, I'm in construction and and we have a a (laughs) reclaimed wood company we're friends with. (laughs) <laughs> oh I have to boy. ask that guy if he's had any weird experiences like that.
2: You should ask because I mean, there was a huge, you know, throughout the ninth, the late 1990s and the early 2000s, there was a they, we tore down a ton of hospitals and, and uh, psychiatric hospitals, and so I'm sure a ton of that wood went into usage.
4: Weird man. Again, that's like the that intense mental energy just is being focused on that on an object
2: well for sure and you know that's a relatively new concept like when you talk to paranormalists and ghost hunters and stuff they always talk about residual energy that concept of residual energy is is fairly new i mean that that started around the 1970s uh there was there were ideas that were similar to it in the early 1800s there were some psychical researchers who believed that Uh, When you spoke, uh, your voice, uh, the waves in your voice kind of went into the air, but they didn't ever dissipate fully. And that's where ghost voices were coming from. And then in the 1920s, another psychical researcher said, well, if, if that happens with your voice, maybe it also happens as you move through the air. Maybe you leave some kind of impression in the air. And then in the 1940s, another researcher was like, well, maybe it's uh, contained within a house. Then in the 1960s, an archaeologist who was studying ghosts in castles in England was like, well, maybe it's because the materials somehow are recording it like ferromagnetic tape. Like maybe they're recording it. Then in the 1970s is when the concept of the stone tape theory came out, which was, you know, crystalline structures embedded in stones and then in rocks, were somehow recording information and energy, and that's where we get the ideas of residual hauntings from. Now, but it's really only from about 1977 is when people started to talk about that.
4: Does yeah, that's, that's a fascinating theory to me. That whole residual residual haunting, the 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 playback on the environment, and it, it seems like it's only it can be for people that maybe are able to pick it up much easier than others. Like some people can are much more, um, they have much more of a sense of it than other people. Like it works for the person.
2: Yeah. And you know, we're all different. We all, even though, like I said, you know, we all can come to some consensus on our seemingly shared reality. Like there, we all are, we all experience it slightly differently. I think it was a couple of years ago in, Germany, there were some scientists who realized that there are quite a number of women who actually see about 130 more shade of colors than most normal people do. And it's because they have this extra receptor, this cone, this rod that's in their eye, allows them to see slightly more colors so they can see higher into the ultraviolet frequency than most people can. And it's something that they've experienced their whole life, so then how do they ever explain it to us that they're seeing just slightly better blue or slightly better red than we're seeing. And so if that happens with something as simple as, you know, a, a genetic defect in the cones and rods in the eyes, how do we know at a genetic level that there aren't people who are more sensitive to the feelings of the people that are around them? I mean, we talk about intuition all the time, and most especially with women's intuition. But we've all had the experience of walking into a bar, and as soon as you walk in the door, you're like, "This place is fucked." Like, I hate this place. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just—it's a—it's yeah. just a feel—it's just a feeling that comes over you. You don't even think it. You don't hear that internal dialogue. You just feel that that bar is crappy, or yeah. you meet someone for the first time and you're like, "I hate that dude." I don't know why, but I hate him. And those experiences usually play out correctly.
4: I have had that same that same thing with a bar. Uh, There's one here in our little local area here that I've gone into several times, and every time that I've gone there, I have felt just like really uneasy, and I'm just like I don't know why. I just I chalked it up to maybe it's just the people in there. Maybe it's just the, the, maybe it's my own attitude sucks. I don't know. Well, I just got on the subject of talking to somebody that I knew at work one time. And he told me, he's an older guy. And he told me that at that same place, it used to be, it was called something else back in the 80s. And this guy got in a fight with his girlfriend, left the bar, came back with a gun and shot the place up. And only one person died because he shot, like, kind of low to the ground, and that person was, sure. like, bending over to pick something up and got shot in the head. But it, uh, I, I was like, man, seriously, that really happened there? And uh, our old co-host, Luke, he, he went into the, uh, into the bathroom one time, and uh, he walks in there, to, you know, starts to do his business, and he hears over in the stall – uh, he's at the urinal, here's over the stall next to him. He hears like somebody like whistling and he says something, something snappy to it, to the to the person he thinks is in there and goes and look. And he's the only one in the bar in in the bathroom. So like I had that, I, I told him, you know, I've always had a weird feeling in that place. And like, well, that there was something yeah. that did happen there. If,
3: if any place would, you know, would have an, an oppressive atmosphere <laughs> and, you know, be collecting negative, activity it would probably you know be a bar even if it isn't from you know someone dying or something like yeah. that just think of all the you know all the misery that's been poured out there all, all the, the sad concentration people. of yeah it's you know right right couldn't think of a well, place that so absorb more of that
2: yeah i mean that's one of the things when i talk to uh ghost hunting groups and stuff like that and people always say well why should why should we investigate cemeteries like nobody dies in a cemetery. And I told them, it's like it's not to. You're not investigating like the potential ghosts in the cemetery, but in cemeteries. You have a constant uh, outpouring of of energy in cemeteries. People are constantly there, just weeping and grieving and mourning and putting all of that energy into that small piece of area, you know. And it's one of those things where. Sometimes you go to a, a cemetery and you get solemn and and it's not even that you're looking for a ghost in a cemetery, but what has been created in that cemetery by all the people going there
3: that makes a lot of sense yeah mm-hmm. all that all that just collective energy, yeah, and concentration on the nature of reality and the afterlife and things like that that that's a you know. That'd be like the number one place where people would really be facing uh, that issue, that,
2: that reality. Yeah. And you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to talk about, and you know, there is something, there is something about cemeteries, like whether or not it's the outward manifestation of our mortality. But I mean, it's, it is really amazing that if you look at the amount of traffic on the street, uh, on the busy, on the busiest day, you know, a Friday afternoon, you look at, uh, we have a huge cemetery just maybe a mile away from my house and you've got, you know, tens of thousands of cars lined up in a traffic jam and there's people all over the streets. And then there's this patch of grass, just got some stones sitting on top of it, which is the cemetery, which is completely empty and no one is looking at it. No one even wants to get near it. It's, a, it's just a very fascinating concept of, like, how much we try to avoid thinking about our mortality and our place in the universe, that we, we have these beautifully, a lot of the times, I mean, talking about the ones that are upkept, but these beautifully kind of caretaken patches of land, and people do everything that they can to avoid looking at it or walking through it or going to have lunch in it. it it's, really, it's really odd to think about how it affects us just uh, subconsciously.
4: It is strange. It really is. Oh, what, uh, another story I wanted to ask you about was the silver coin.
2: Oh, yeah, I still have it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't the, quite
4: understand what was going on in this story.
2: So, a lot of people have some difficulty with this story. So the the short of the story is I became friends with some folk magic practitioners, i.e. voodoo practitioners in Michigan back in the day. And over the time that I knew them, I became friends with their family and had gone to their house and kind of learned their family history. And uh, there were always kind of in-jokings about uh, how terrible one of the sister's husbands had been before he died. You used to be a pretty bad drunk and very physically and emotionally abusive toward one sister and then he died and they were kind of whenever they talked about him it was in a very joking very dark tone of joke um, and then auntie who was the kind of matriarch of the family uh, was she was a pretty heavy drinker too and and one night I was drinking with her and she was telling me some old voodoo stories and some ghost stories and she Had given me months earlier uh, this silver coin and had told me the story about how this silver coin, once it's given to you, contains your essence and don't ever let anybody get a hold of it because once they get a hold of it, they can control you. And she was uh, drunk one night and she told me the story about the sister's husband who had died. And she asked me, she said, Do you want to see him? And I said, I thought she was drunk. And so I said, Yeah, but he's dead. I thought she was going to call up a ghost or something, and uh, she got. We got in my car and we drove uh, about a quarter of a mile to this school, and she went to the back door and knocked. And the midnight janitor came and she asked to see Lincoln, who was the husband. And this gentleman came down the hallway, slack jawed, glassy eyed, nonverbal. Uh, he walked toward us. She told him to sit down. He sat down. She berated him for probably 15 minutes just saying things to him like, boy, don't you wish now Lincoln, you would have never treated my sister bad. Look at you now, get up and go back to work. And he picked up his broom and just went back to work. We got back in my car and drove back to her house. And when we were getting back to her house, she looked at me and she said, you still have your coin, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, I have Lincoln's coin. That's what you can do to someone. And I realized that they had literally zombified this guy. They had, uh, through whatever means of medicine and voodoo, uh, you know, it can be done with drugs, which is how it's done is you actually give someone something that makes them feign death. Uh, You can get their death death certificate. They were collecting his insurance. Plus they had put him to work. He was living in, I mean, they had literally made a zombie. I had, I sat across from a zombie and that was when I ended my, association with that family.
4: I <laughs> don't blame you, but you do think that he was probably, because there is that, what is that? I, I can't even think of the name of it, but it comes from the puffer fish.
2: Yeah, there are quite a number of drugs that can be administered to people.
4: Yeah. And it keeps them like in a, it keeps them in literally a zombified state. Like, what is that? The,
1: uh, well, yeah,
2: what, when it's first administered, what it does is it causes uh, for a depend upon the dose, uh, it causes death-like symptoms, so it shallows your breathing, your heartbeat slows to almost nothing, uh, and that can last for about 24 to 48 hours. The problem is is that since you, since your heart is beating so slowly, since your respiration is down, it causes brain damage, and so by the time you come out of it, you're not really ever out of it. Right. Uh, yeah, it's been like Serpent suspicious. in the Rainbow stuff, right?
4: Right, Serpent in the Rainbow, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and that's what they had done to this gentleman. And so that's when I was like, yeah, I don't need to deal with this family anymore.
4: Wow. You see, you hear about that stuff. Go had That, that goes on in Haiti, but I had no it idea goes on everywhere. it would go on in the United States.
2: Like it goes on. It goes on everywhere. Since that time, I've met a number of families who have confirmed that this still goes on to this day all across the world.
4: Whoa. That's, like scarier than anything else i've heard so far. <laughs> well, hopefully they're just doing it to deadbeats.
2: <laughs> I mean, you would hope so, right? But the problem no is, is like if the the problem is is like you would hope that that's the case, but like we live in such a bizarre society right now. You know that someone has done it. I mean, originally zombification in a lot of those instances, you know, the original idea of zombifying someone was you know a couple hundred years ago, it was used on slaves in the you know um, in the Atlantic Island or yeah in the Atlantic Islands to uh, yeah. work the sugarcane fields. Uh-huh. Uh, they you know you didn't have to pay them. They worked fourteen hours a day, and that's kind of where the idea of zombies came from. And so you know that something like that has to still be in use. Some some rich person somewhere screwed up enough to still be doing that.
4: Well, you've got drugs now, like what is it, scopolamine that pretty sure. much can do the same kind of effect. Like I remember um hearing about stuff like that happened in Brazil like a lot where they would sp- the people would come up and spray uh people with this it happened to somebody that my ex-wife knew that she got sp- somebody came up to her sprayed something in her face and it was scopalamine, and they made her pull money out from her bank gave them the money and then they just left. Like, that's
2: crazy. Yeah, heard, yeah, you know, I've heard about them doing that with uh, tourist maps.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Well, they'll unfold the tourist map in front of you and, and then blow on it, right, when it is they're unfolding the map. And it just, you know, it seems like it's a dusty map, but then the next thing you know, you know you're know, you taking them back to your hotel room and letting them take all of your clothes and all your watches and anything of any value, and, you know, there you, there you go.
4: More reasons to never leave the country. <laughs> Uh, this one we got to talk about, this uh, this diner story.
3: Oh, yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, no.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, I I tell people right now, so for the listeners who don't know, long story short, I went to a paranormal convention in Decatur, Illinois, uh, and this is many years ago now, I think probably eight or nine years ago. Was
4: it Troy Titans? Yeah.
2: It was it was a Troy Taylor event in Decatur, yeah. Illinois, and I got my my truck got totaled on the night of the event, so I had to take a taxi and get rides back and forth. And then they told me it was going to be a couple days for my truck to be fixed, so I'd stay in this hotel by myself, two hundred plus room hotel. I was the only guest there because the convention was over. The convention wasn't even at that hotel; it's just where everybody was staying. Uh, middle of winter. I asked the concierge where I could eat. He told me where to eat. I went and ate there twice over the course of three days, I think. Uh, And then the day my car was fixed, I went back to look for the diner to eat there one last time. Before I went home, I couldn't find the diner. I went back to the hotel, asked for directions. I realized that I had gone to a different place twice. I found the diner that the concierge was talking about, and it was in a completely different location, and it wasn't a place I had eaten at. Uh, and then I drove around for about three hours looking for the place I ate at, and never found it. And as far as I know, has it has never existed.
4: Well, I remember at the end of that episode where you said that you were looking for updates, and that was like about 2012, I think, when you posted that. Did you ever get yep. any kind of updates from anybody
2: on it? So the, the close the closest update that I ever got was a gentleman sent me an email, and. He sent me a photo of his grandmother who had the name of the woman in the diner, um, who had, she had lived near Decatur, but not in Decatur. And the photo did, at least in my mind at that time, I mean, again, this is years later after the events happened, it did kind of sim- look similar to the woman, but his grandmother had died in 1973. Whoa. I mean, there's no confirmation on any of that. And it doesn't make any sense anyway, because there's never been a diner there. Even in 1973, there wasn't a diner there. So that case perplexes me in the sense that there are so many aspects to it. I don't even know if I really talk about them on the episode, but like, I ate there twice. I remember the food. I don't really remember... I remember what it looks like on the inside. I remember what it looked like from the outside. It was snowing very bad both times that I went there, but I can remember, you know, what the parking lot looked like, what the diner looked like. I remember what the food tastes like. I remember I paid American real money and I got change back from them. So like there was an interaction of goods and services. uh, And that just baffles me to no end that if I would have known I was in the middle of having a weird experience, like that money came from that diner. Um, right. by the time I went by the time I went back to that diner, when I got my car repaired, I paid for my car and then I, I stopped and got lunch and then uh, got I stopped and got lunch and then I went and got my I picked up my car and then uh, when I was looking to for the diner the last time, like when I couldn't find it, then I started thinking about, oh, I still have, but I still have that money. But then I realized like I had paid the repair shop. I had paid for lunch. I had paid at the hotel. Like all the money they had given me was already gone. It was already somewhere else. Yeah. It was in circulation. So, yeah. Yeah.
3: Were there any, was there anything like, um, fashion or maybe like, uh, I mean, it, it was, it's all- logos on the ketchup or something that seemed out of place. Like,
2: no, everything seemed absolutely normal. I mean, I just took it as, I just took it as a normal kind of little Decatur, Illinois diner, like the fashion didn't seem out of place. Uh, you know, there was Heinz ketchup bottles on the tables, uh, you know, it was that kind of not glass, but plastic wear that you get, uh, as a plate, uh, I remember it wasn't like I've thought back about this so many times. I just have no idea. And I've actually told people you can look, uh, if you go on Google earth, uh, I stayed at the Decatur conference center is the name of the hotel that I stayed at. You can actually Google earth it and look at it from the top and you can see the back door of the hotel that I came out of. I had the, the, another just strange part of it, which doesn't have anything to do with the story. I don't think is you have to, there's a cemetery behind the conference center. And so when the concierge told me, you have to walk out the back door, you'll have to go through this little uh, cemetery, you'll hit the road, and then you turn right, and then there's a golf course, and the directions he gave me. You can actually follow my path on Google Earth and see that I am just walking off into the middle of nowhere. Um, and I, it still just blows my mind.
4: do you have any theories? Cause to me, this is like alternate universe shit. Like yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing that I can think of.
2: Yeah. It's the only thing I can think of too. I somehow or another just walked into, and and I think I talk about this in the episode of realm of the weird is both times, uh, both times that I went to that restaurant, uh, it was, this was the middle of winter when I was going both times. I, it was, really snowing really hard to the point of where I was frustrated with how difficult it was walking through the snow and having the snow blow in my face. And I feel like it was at those moments when I was probably crossing into a separate reality than this one.
4: You know, I, I have heard of stuff like that before, like Whitley Strieber actually writes about that. I don't remember which book it is, but he writes about being with his son and he's taking his son and some other kids somewhere and he ends up driving through this weird place that's like kind of just slightly familiar, but, but everything kind of seems off.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The only reason I think that that, weather had something to do with it, that snowstorm had something to do with it, is because I'm Michigan born and raised. Like I deal with snow very well. I love when it snows. I love that it's cold. I don't get frustrated normally when it's snowing, even when it's dark. Like I love, I love it. I've grown up with it. And I do remember feeling frustrated both times with the amount of snow and, and how, how much it was snowing. And then the relief at seeing that diner on the other side, like coming out of the you know, the snowstorm where you've got this blinding snow and seeing those lights from the, the front of the diner and, and seeing like, okay, I'm there. What'd you eat? Uh, the first the first time I went there I had pancakes and hash browns, toast, scrambled eggs, and a bunch of coffee.
1: Oh, and then
2: yeah. the second time I the second time I went there I had uh, Grambled eggs and waffles and I think I had coffee and cranberry juice. I just remember the cranberry juice was in a really small glass and I kept thinking, why are they jipping me on cranberry juice here? <laughs> <laughs>
4: You do realize that there's probably if you told them like your website or something, they probably went and looked it up and they're people that were in that daughter, and they 're like. That guy doesn't exist. Like, who, they're probably yeah, right? like looking for you <laughs> yeah. in the alternate universe. Like, who was that dude that walked in there yeah, two times?
2: Because <laughs> you kind of, I mean, you I remember never you saying, know, right? Like, there's. Some, somewhere I am. Somewhere in some other reality, someone's doing a podcast like the Man from Torrid, right? Except it's about the guy who came into the diner that doesn't exist.
3: Well, and you really yeah. like hit it off with some of them, right? It wasn't just like you were just passing through and just there. You said you kind of made some, you know, casual friendships.
2: Yeah, I mean it was snowy, and there were only you know the two the two customers in there, and then there was someone in the kitchen cooking. I think a waitress and a. I think that was it. I think there was a total of maybe four or five. There might've been someone else in the kitchen. Uh, I don't think I'm too sure about that, but yeah, it was that conversation that gets struck Mm -hmm. up when you're alone in a small diner in inclement weather, like where are you from? Uh, What's going on? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And just that type of thing. And it was just a normal casual conversation. And I wish I could remember more of it because the problem with casual conversation is you don't really remember it because it's casual. Right. Right. Right And plus, you know, if, like I said, I didn't know anything weird was happening. It was, this is a normal, uh, it, it's snowing a lot outside and i have you know, my car is total, but I'm, I'm, I'm just at a diner eating food. Like I'm not expecting it to, to, to turn into a, a twilight zone episode.
4: So yeah, that's, that's exactly what it sounds like too. <laughs> what about the time traveler?
2: Uh, the time traveler was weird. Uh, I met a gentleman, he was an, uh, he had checked himself into a mental home, long story short. He told me he was a time traveler for the government, that he could move forward and backward in time, holding within his own body and only in times when he had existed.
4: That's like the uh, butterfly very con- effect,
2: that movie. Very convoluted story. Uh, lost touch with him. Uh, he checked himself out and then uh, didn't hear anything about him, decided to do a realm of a weird episode about it. Uh, recorded the whole episode. And then the night before I posted the episode, I got an email from him telling me that I would tell that story for a long time. Uh, And so I freaked out and then tried to email him back. It bounced back. The email address didn't exist. I didn't post the story because I got freaked out because I realized I might be dealing with a time traveler. Uh, But the part that freaked me out the most is he told me that he will introduce himself to me in the past so that I would know that he was a time traveler. And I thought that that was just kind of the craziest thing in the world because you have to alter like, and at least in my mind, the way that I think about time travel, like you're going to alter the past. Right. And so shit's going to be different. So how do you know it's going to work out? And, uh, what was so odd was, I think it was the next morning after he had said that, uh, I was thinking about him talking about, he's going to meet me in the past. And, this memory jumped into my mind of I was at a concert and I have a memory of, of this man reaching through the crowd and, and kind of grabbing me and looking me in the face and saying my name. And I couldn't remember remembering before that. And Hmm. I thought, Holy shit. Like he did it. Like, like he went in my past and just, ever so slightly put a memory of himself in there that I didn't remember. It's so strange because I don't not remember remembering it. I've always remembered it. But it seems to me that I do remember a time when I didn't remember it.
0: Hmm. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this hurt my brain a little tiny
1: bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I had a scratch on that one too.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 like I said, the universe is like, Kenny, do you want to play? And I'm like, yep. And then the universe is like, hold my beer.
4: (laughs) Well, John, I want to get your thoughts on the time that we got left with you um, about kind of the state of the paranormal and then also conspiracy stuff too. Cause when we've taught, we've had you on to talk about that and not enough. I think that we've, we haven't had you to talk about it enough on this show, but what's your thoughts on, on what's going on? Like where, where are we at right now? with like the research, uh, of the paranormal and like, have the shows kind of run their course? Like where are we
2: now? So I can tell you right now talking about the shows. Uh, I actually posted today on Facebook, a little comment in one of the groups that said, prepare your antacids and aspirin because we're about to be hit with a huge wave of new paranormal shows. Really? Uh, I know personally, myself, I know of six that have been greenlit and are filming right now. Uh, And that's just what I know. So I know of six, which means there's going to be at least 12. There's got to be at least another six that I don't know about. I don't even think that I'm that connected. And I know about six. So in 2019, you're going to see a whole new slew of shows. Uh, Everything from uh, ghost, ghost hunting to UFOs, the conspiracy theory to uh Bigfoot I mean it's it's everywhere and I've been asked to work on a number of them and I've turned a bunch down just because the premises aren't very interesting to me and and don't seem like they'll go anywhere so we're about to receive a huge onslaught so paranormal television is not going away uh so be prepared for that and Ooh. uh as it stands with research and the investigation of this stuff I mean I I think we make very, very minor, slow, incremental uh, steps in this field. I think that we've been stuck for probably seventy-five or eighty years, uh, just asking each other the same questions. You know, the fact that I'm still seeing articles posted as new content about what orbs are uh, is very frustrating. I mean, we're twenty years past the first the first paper written about orbs was actually written by Bruce McAbee, the UFO researcher. Uh, He wrote a white paper about particulate matter causing orbs in digital cameras in, in 1997. So, I mean, we're 21 years past the first time someone explained what orbs were, and people are still writing content about orbs. So we are stuck in a kind of spinning loop. The only good thing is that we are now having larger discussions about the nature of reality i mean we haven't figured anything out but we're now far more open into talking about the high strangeness and yeah the more the more difficult aspects of consciousness have become very forefront in these conversations which i think is is something that we can start making moves on
3: well and a lot of that is actually helping to explain why we are still stuck because of the nature of this phenomenon is not there maybe there may not be any breakthroughs, you know, ever, as far as we know, because it's just too strange.
2: Yeah, I mean, we might be biologically incapable of understanding it. Um, the explanation might be that it is unexplainable. Uh, you know, even Stephen Hawking used to talk about when people were trying to find the unified field theory. Stephen Hawking said it could be that the unified field theory, the answer is that it will never be answered. And so one of the solutions to it never being answered is that someone will discover a answer. And even though that answer is incorrect, it'll stop everybody from looking and therefore it'll never be answered. (laughs) Uh, Right. And so like, those are the difficulties with what we're dealing with and what we're talking about. Uh, The good thing is, and I talk about this at my lectures a lot, and I I really do honestly mean this, if ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs, if all of the high strangeness in the world, if none of it is real, if absolutely none of it is qualifiable, quantifiable, classifiable, none of it is real. If all that it is is a means for us to exchange information with each other and talk to each other about the nature of reality and living on this planet, that's fine. Yeah. Agreed. Like it gets us to talk to each other about ourselves and our experiences. And if that's all it is, if that's all it does is get us to talk to each other. I'm fine with that. That's, that's a major achievement in whatever it is.
4: Well, you've been doing this for a while. Um, have you seen kind of a shift in people being more ready or reticent to, to speak about their experiences?
2: I mean, I think, I think that's something that we hear all the time is that people are more open to talk about this stuff now, but as with anything, I, I think that even that is cyclical. You know, we had in the 1970s, I think that you would have been hard pressed to find anyone that didn't talk about their dreams and crystals and chakras and healing and, uh, using Ouija boards and talking to spirits. Um. Uh, in the fifties, you would have been hard pressed to find it in the 1920s. You would have been hard pressed to find someone that didn't talk about seances and spiritualism. And so I think it's cyclical. I think that we go through these periods where we have a, a decade or a couple decades of people being very open about their, their weirdness and their high strangeness. And then, uh, it kind of goes underground for a while. It's kind of accepted. And then some people are called kooks and then it falls off the radar for a decade or a couple decades, and then it returns. Uh, And I think we're just in the middle of one of those, because of information exchange and how we now communicate so quickly with each other, uh, we're just in one of those moments where everybody does want to talk, and so we're talking about it again.
4: Do you ever see the phenomenon of when you talk to people and you'll ask them, well, "Have you ever had anything weird happen to you?" and they'll, they'll tell you no, and then they'll say, "But you know, there was this one time," and then they'll tell you like the it's most the amazing shit. story you've ever heard, like Rob. I, have, like so Rob has. I,
2: actu- <laughs> I I actually, I actually say that at my lectures. Every single I know people who, I'm this is some kind of humble brag, so look out. But I, I know people who work at major universities. I know people who work at CERN and at NASA. Huge materialists, mechanized scientists, uh, don't believe in anything, atheists, who tell me that none of it's real, none of it's ever happened, and every single one of those persons has said, but there was one time.
1: Yeah.
4: Right. Yeah, I I, I have noticed that phenomenon quite a lot. Or you'll tell them, like, I've talked to people, like, i tell them what the podcast is about, and they'll tell me, well, I saw a UFO once, or, you know, and they're just like, well, I've never seen a UFO. And
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, the other thing is, too, is when we talk about, we have, because we have this idea, right, when we call things paranormal or supernatural, that they're parallel to our normal world, right, like paranatural, right? So we have this idea that it is a ghost, that it is, that those are the things that are considered paranormal, but we have paranormal experiences so often that we've normalized them and we don't realize they're paranormal experiences anymore. Right. So like we talk every single day, every single person in the world probably experiences a coincidence. Like the dictionary definition of a coincidence is a bullshit definition because the definition is, seemingly unrelated experiences which seem to be related for no discernible reason. I mean, that definition is a crock of horseshit. Like, it, the definition is, we don't know why it happens. Uh, and coincidences happen so frequently that we just call them coincidences. As a matter of fact, skeptics write off paranormal experiences by saying they're coincidences. They're saying, I that didn't happen because what did happen was something that I can't explain why it happened.
4: Right. And then you got to a, a synchronicity. <laughs> it's like when you're aware of something, all of a sudden you have more and more of those. I've noticed that phenomenon. Yeah,
0: oh, yeah absolutely. For sure. Almost like um, realizing you're on a path and then kind of staying on that path because you've recognized a sort of a thing.
2: Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, Robert Anton Wilson used to talk about that stuff all the time. You know, In one of his books, he used to tell people you know, by the end of the book, you're going to start finding dimes on the ground. And then throughout the book, you talk about finding dimes on the ground. And then after you read that book, like I defied you to find, not find dimes on the ground. There were everywhere. You know, he had set your intent and he'd set your motivation. I found like $2 in dimes the week after I read that book.
4: (laughs) Nice. You got some money out
2: of it. Finally. That's the big money you get when you investigate paranormal phenomena. Two <laughs> bucks and dimes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Payday. So conspiracy theories.
2: like Conspiracy theories.
4: Things are crazy right now. And we've talked about this other show, but I want to get your take on it. Like it is super crazy.
2: So let me give me a little bit of your taste of what you think is crazy.
4: Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Um.
3: <laughs> the mainstreaming and I guess weaponization of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've had on
4: Ken Thomas. He talked about this uh, with his book, Trumpocalypse Now, where you talk about basically how conspiracy has become. A political tool, basically, by uh, pretty much the right, but a little bit by the, but more and more so by the left as well.
3: In the demonization of it,
4: yeah, and well, there's other conspiracy theories that you could that that they engage in as well too, but like you know, QAnon, um, pretty. It really is amazing, isn't it? Pretty much things that just basically are bringing back satanic panic and that old, the, the blood libel stuff, that old, you know, that the...
3: All the pedophilia obsessions. Yeah, all that as well.
4: Um, which there's kernels to truth. Uh, I, I hesitate because, you know, there's kernels of truth in some of this stuff. But I mean, it's definitely that, been used...
2: That's what makes conspiracy theory so engaging for people, right? Is those nuggets, those tiny little bits of truth. Right. And we were talking before we, before the show, right? Like when I was growing up and, and, you know, starting off with Craig and stuff, um, my mentor, like, we were just historians who speculated, we theorized about possible conspiracies. And that was what a conspiracy theorist was like, you know, whether whether you were talking about the JFK assassination or RFK, MLK, Malcolm X, uh, you know, Bay of Pigs, or even further back, the Lusitania, you know, there's conspiracies all over that you can historically look at. And and you can grasp some deeper meaning, whether or not there was actually a, a conspiracy there, because you're, you're getting a glimpse of history and you're looking at the motivations and the machinations of people. But now we're at a point where... You know, people jump on YouTube and they watch like a poorly spelled, horribly edited four minute video and they think they're an expert on world economics. And it's (laughs) it's the shape of the earth (laughs) or the shape of the earth for sure. (laughs) I mean, I, I, you could have, I seriously, I got to step back for a minute (laughs) because I'm thinking about this. (laughs) You could have, you could have floored me with a feather. Like when I started seeing people talking about the flat earth again, in the early 80s i went to a conference and i watched a debate between a flat earther and a hollow earther and they were just at each other's throats over who was right right what if the earth was hollow the earth was flat and these guys just awesome. went at each other full bore and i was like this is fantastic and then like flat earth drops flat earth drops off and it disappears and i was like well that's gone well pretty good i mean there's you know not a lot of rationalization for it when i saw it come back i was like holy shit Like, I can't believe this came back out of all of the madness from the past. This is going to be the thing. And then I thought to myself, where are the Hollow Earthers? Like, they are the ones that lost this game because I do see a little bit of it here and there, but they didn't get the full speed run that the Flat Earthers got. And I wish that we could have those massive arguments watching these two people just go at each other's throats over these concepts, which ultimately don't mean anything.
4: Oh, there's a guy that's on my Facebook that has a hollow earth themed. I, I somehow I get put into these groups and there's a, there's a hollow earth one and he's, it's all like making fun of the uh, flat earth people. And, uh, But he's the he's the hollow earth guy, which incidentally, like I don't buy it. But I could buy the hollow earth a little more than the flat.
1: You know,
3: if I had to choose one, I'd choose the hollow. I I think there was some absolutely. I think there were some Nazis who thought that we were actually. uh, They believed in like the hollow earth type of thing, but we're actually in like a, a a concave. Sphere, yeah,
2: yeah, like, in, yeah. So you've got the hollow earthers, and you're talking about the interior earthers. Yeah, so like yes, yes. the Nazis, the Nazis believed that the stars in the sky, yeah, it was were just actually the icicles like
1: cracks,
2: yeah, <laughs> cracks and icicles in the shell inside the space where Earth is. Like we're inside a giant egg.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. And it's just like infinitely ground or rock and lava and stuff. If you know what, yeah, yeah <laughs> we're like inside of it, and well, then it's just. There was that group that was
4: in somewhere close to Chicago in the 19th century that they had a whole cult based on that concept. The guy's right. name was like Cyrus or something. I can't remember yeah. the whole uh, name, but he that, yeah. that's where the Nazis probably got all that from. Cyrus Teed. Cyrus Teed. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, they're, and they're probably maybe, coming back but,
3: soon, I'm sure.
2: I'm sure someone will do a reality show about it. Um, (laughs) but again like with conspiracy theories it was so frustrating to me so you know back in the early 90s i actually used to interact a lot with alex jones uh back in the early 90s you know there there it wasn't the way it is now like it was you know a lot of message boards and uh talking to people on the phone and there were very few radio shows where you could go on and talk about madness and you know, high strangeness and weirdness and conspiracies. And, uh, I, I parted ways dealing with him, uh, right around Y2K because he started, he built this character around himself that was, weaponizing fear. You know, he was telling people, you know, the communists are going to invade on Y2K. There's going to be power plant meltdowns. You're going to be, there's going to be stockpile runs on gas and food. Like you're going to have to get out there. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to kill. And, and that's when I parted ways with him. And I thought for sure, like that, that was going to burn out when I saw the, Absolute normalization of him, like all of a sudden, like just every news reporter in the world knew who his name was and being talked about. And the fact that he was, you know, a multimillionaire was one of the most frustrating things that I've probably ever witnessed in my entire life.
3: Did you see a a cynicism that led him to that?
2: You know, what's funny is somewhere... I have to track this down. It's gotta be in my attic somewhere because I used to tape record phone conversations all the time just oh, because that's man. what you did back in the day. But I have a conversation between me and Alex and this probably about ninety-five or ninety-six, and he says, you know, anybody that's anybody that's on the main he doesn't say mainstream news, he says anybody that's on any of the major broadcasters that's talking about this stuff is bought and paid for by the corporations. And I just kept thinking about that when I would see him on a major news broadcast, and when he was being interviewed by major news broadcasters. Like this, this his whole thing was the only way that he was ever going to, you know, uh, he was either going to have to stop talking about it, or he would be bought by the corporations. And the only thing I could ever think about watching his kind of rise was, oh, he was bought by the corporations. This is where the money's coming from. Someone is using him to mm-hmm. weaponize people's fears.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Right.
2: You know, people don't remember. It's very strange how how limited the memory is. We would talk all the time that people don't remember. But, you know, it's it, a very short time ago, in 1994, you know, 1993, 94, when we were talking about conspiracy theories, we were talking about clinton building fema camps to put the uh republicans inside of and that was how the socialist state was going to start yeah. and then that disappears oh, and collapses. the un blue yeah.
3: helmets were going to come and round everyone yeah up. the
2: un blue helmets were coming they were gonna they were training inside the united states uh soldiers were being forced to sign contracts saying they would fire on american citizens uh i mean that was you know the rush and and then when it when, when that melted away, when when Clinton left office and, and Bush came into office, uh, obviously you have the events of, of 9-11 happening, which pushed a lot of stuff. But now you do have, you know, the Patriot Act coming in. And and we literally now, you know, whether whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, like literally now we do have people interred in camps, you know, whether or not they're American, uh, we have children effectively that are prisoners inside of the United States right now. And the conspiracy quote unquote, conspiracy groups don't seem to mind it very much because it's not Americans.
4: Right. We've been talking about this a lot. Yeah, exactly. There, all this conspiracy stuff and this whole group that I, you know, I considered myself a part of still consider myself a part of, but it's like all this, all these people in the, when Bush was in office and when and going into obama where it was all this anti-authoritarian streak and yeah. you know we're against what the government is doing the extension of government power now that trump is in there and it's their guy quote unquote cuz i don't really think he's their guy but cuz he's a cynical pragmatist right <laughs> that I, that now it's their guy. They're they're on board with this stuff. They're yeah. on board with it.
3: Well, he need he needs the power to fight the deep state and the globalists. So they're willing to, you know. Yes, our George Soros. Well, yeah, I mean, they're even know? saying now, like a lot a lot of the you know more right wing conspiracy crowd are like saying that uh, uh, you know it's the roundup is coming and that we're gonna need to give uh, Trump dictatorial powers, like, and it's, it's okay because that's the only way we're going to fight the deep state now. So they're actually calling for it. I actually read a big thing on Infowars lately where they're like, you know, calling for and supporting if Trump would basically, you know, become an authoritarian leader. Like that's crazy. crazy.
2: That's totally, it's, 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 it's super crazy. And you know what you can, you can, honestly and openly see how people pick and choose determine it upon their social character and their social philosophies. Right. So if you wanted to write an article about the government, uh, wiping, uh, wiping someone out, if you want to talk about the government murdering someone for their political views that are, uh, and, and the people who are, you know, against all this stuff. If you want to go to InfoWars right now, what I'm trying to say is go to InfoWars right now and see how many articles they have written about uh, the murder of Fred Hampton. Like 0.0. There's zero articles written about a Black Panther Party leader being killed by the United States government for his radical ideas. That should be a huge article on that website because it's a known, proven historical fact that Fred Hampton was assassinated by the government. Like that's a fact. The uh, fact that yeah. the fact that there is no article on Infowars shows you how it's being manipulated. Well,
3: and right now the FBI is has begun the targeting of what they are calling black identity extremists, and we're seeing a you know a total repeat of that stuff. But it's like you know they're not going to say anything about that. But if they target you know right wing militia types, then they're going to freak out. So it's yeah, exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying.
2: Absolutely, and. I'll tell you something that blew my mind. I, like I couldn't believe it at all. Was I was watching, uh, this is probably now a month ago, but I, I woke up one morning and Reverend Al Sharpton has a show. I think it's on MSNBC. And he was interviewing Spike Lee. And Spike Lee had a shirt on that said, uh, God protect Robert Mueller. And I was like, Spike Lee is wearing a T-shirt. That is praying for an FBI agent. <laughs> yeah.
4: That's that's the other part of this equation, is where the left now is like is all they're all about the mainstream media. The FBI,
3: the mainstream media. Yeah.
4: <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah. the anti authoritarian <laughs> status has been co opted. They're they're just as much hypocrites as the right.
2: Oh, it's completely upside down. And I mean It's, it's so odd too. I used to, I can't remember the full bit, but I used, I used to do stand up here and there every now and then. And one of my bits, which wasn't very funny, which is why I don't do stand up very often, uh, (laughs) is I would start, is I would start by talking about, uh, I would start right at like the top of kind of right wing conspiracy theory. And I would start talking about like, FEMA camps and the Clintons and like we were talking about earlier, like the new world order. And then all of a sudden I was talking about Bush. And then all of a sudden I was talking. And what's funny is when you talk about conspiracy theories, you can go from the extreme left and end up on the extreme right or on the extreme right and get to the extreme left. And all you have to do is talk about conspiracy theories. They intertwine so deeply and the world changes so strangely that When you have uh, left-leaning socialists who are talking about, you know, uh, abolishing uh, the CIA and personal rights, you can get to the right side of property rights and personal rights. You're talking about the same thing with different words and different villains.
3: Yeah, Ken Thomas was calling that a fusion paranoia. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild, man. What do you think about, uh, the, where do you think it's heading? I mean, the culture of conspiracy (laughs) theory, do you have any predictions?
2: Uh, I don't, I mean, it's going to get even crazier. You think it's just going to be so much
3: noise. It's going to get discredited really bad.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're already to a point, like, and we have been for probably a few decades now, it's just become more and more clear because I was like, I said earlier, of, how we exchange information and how we communicate with each other. Like stuff is just happening out in the open now, you know, and people are just admitting to it. Uh, you know, if you are even looking at the most recent, the, the killing of this journalist in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. like the information is just out there now. Like we're just not even hiding it anymore. Like, yeah, eventually they're going to just kill someone uh, for political reasons and say, yeah, we killed him. That's the point that we're getting to and people are just going to be okay with it, which is very strange. I don't think that people realize when I talk about conspiracy theories now, the one that I talk about that I think is and find most interesting is I don't think that people realize that like what we knew grew growing, growing up as the American experiment, like it's, that is over. Like we are, we are past that now. Um, you know, the, the, people who run our country do not represent us any longer um our our state and local representatives sure they do to a a minor point but at at a federal level you know the congress and the senate and our elected leaders and our judgeships they don't represent uh people anymore and the american experiment we've always kind of expected it and hoped that it was like that even though it wasn't But now we know it's not. And I think people are unwilling to accept the fact that, like, something does need to happen. I don't know what that thing is going to be, but we're not going back to what we call normal. Uh, It's kind of like saying, let's go back to the good old days. Like, we've realized now there weren't any good old days. And so when people talk about it going back to normal, uh, it was never normal to begin with. And so we are moving into a new type of America, uh, where people are just openly blatant about their hatreds and their loves. And they're just openly blatant about where they're getting their money from and who they're working for. And it's not for us.
4: Yeah. It's scary. That's yeah, more frightening it's, it's, than any of the paranormal stuff that we've talked about
2: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's really frightening for me. I mean, you know, uh, I don't if I think we might've talked about this years ago and whatever, but your listeners might not know this, but like, I, it blows my mind. And I posted a, a Twitter post about this. Uh, I grew up with Bob Ritchie, who is now known as kid rock. Like it blows my mind to see him sitting in the white house. And I think to myself, like, he kicked me out of his house once cause I wouldn't smoke hash with him. And that guy is like, and that guy is now like talking to the president of the United States. <laughs>
4: wow. Surreal.
2: Like we're not going back to normal. There's no normal. We're not going back to to something that's more sane.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, I know it's, it's really, it's really, really frightening. And it feels like there's just like a, yeah, it's a point of no return.
2: Like, you I just... mean, I yeah. hopefully it writes itself. I have that hope within me that it writes itself, but I'm still one of those conspiracy theorists who think that if you are complaining about someone, Uh, In a position of power, whether it be a corporation or a politician, if you know that person's name, that's probably not the person that you should be complaining about. I'm still one of those conspiracy theorists who do believe that there are groups of people who I do not know about who are making much larger and wider decisions worldwide. Um, And those are the people I, I, I should be concerned with.
4: Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. Well on that wonderful note. <laughs> happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. Happy Halloween, John.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, trick or treat, everyone. <laughs> Enjoy your candy.
4: <laughs> what's, uh, what's next for you, John? And, uh, where can people get in touch with you? And, uh, we, we hope that, uh, I still hope beyond hope that there would be some episodes of ghost stalkers. Cause that was a really good show.
2: Uh, there's another project in the works right now, which I think is, if it works out, it'll be much better and much more interesting, uh, that I've been working on for just about a month now. So if, if that can get going, that'll be pretty interesting. But if people want to contact me, uh, it's weirdlectures.com realmoftheweird.com to listen to Realm of the Weird or anywhere they get their podcasts. Uh, my Twitter, my Facebook and everything is just John E L Kenny. I've got a bunch of, I mean, it's Halloween time, so you know I've got another, I was saying to you guys, I've got to play video games tonight after this interview, and I've got a library lecture on Thursday, I've got another radio interview on Monday, I've got a lecture on Tuesday, another one on Wednesday, so tis the season to be spooky.
4: What are you lecturing about?
2: So the Thursday lecture is just uh, Michigan's history of weirdness. So everything from our UFO sightings in 1966 to our Bigfoot sightings in all of our haunted places. And then uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm doing uh, my scariest stories. So uh, even though most of them will be Realm of the Weird type stories, there are some that are too short to do as a Realm of the Weird. And so uh, it's just two hours. It's at a restaurant. People come and have dinner, and I freak them out for a couple hours.
4: Neat. Neat. I'd love to and
2: and I, of one of those and I bring and I bring the mannequin head so they can all they all have to look at it through the whole thing
4: <laughs> do you ever go hunting for dog man out there in the upper peninsula
2: I have been hunting for dog man a couple times uh, I actually <laughs> nice I actually have I actually have hair samples that are in for analysis right now on dog man oh really yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did the, uh, there was a, actually the first ever dog man conference I think was like two years ago. And I did that. It was in Ohio and, uh, it was a good time, but yeah, dog man, he's a, uh, he's around, I guess.
3: And what is up with Michigan?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> what do you mean? I mean, Michigan, <laughs> I tell people all the time, Michigan, if you want weird stuff, Michigan is the greatest place to come. We have lake <laughs> monsters, dogmen, Bigfoot haunted houses, UFOs. We have more boats and planes disappear in the great lakes. than then the Bermuda triangle it's perfect like if you're a weirdo <laughs> this is your world
0: that's where I came
4: from <laughs> you also have great big fires that uh, take out whole time oh Islands. not anymore
2: the devil devil's night fires not anymore uh, <laughs> uh, when so for the, your listeners who don't know the day before Halloween in Detroit we call it Devil's night and that's because Detroit used to burn the city down like every every Halloween.
0: I just so, recently found out that people outside of Michigan didn't know what Devil's Night was. Isn't that <laughs> crazy? Like, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Like, people don't know it's a thing. Uh, but, yeah, when we were... So, normally, Detroit has... Uh, any major normal city on a normal night has anywhere from about uh, 75 to 115 fire calls. Uh, but on Devil's Night in Detroit, that number jumps to about 6, 700. Uh, that was when it was at its prime. Now we're we've backed off it a little bit. They've tried to rebrand it and they've gotten better. Actually Detroit has actually bounced back a lot than it has in the nineties. And so it's you know, it's still a lot, still three four hundred fires during that night, but it's not as much as it used to be.
4: <laughs> All right. One more question for you, John. Yeah. Favorite flavor of Fago
0: <laughs> Good question. <laughs> that is a good question. Rob knows his. Yeah, so. I told him it the red pop cream soda uh yeah you know this is i
2: was gonna i was gonna say i was gonna say cream soda and i thought that that might be boring so it's gonna be cream soda and rock and rye there you go (laughs) Yep. (laughs) nothing seriously if any of your listeners if you've never had rock and rye over vanilla ice cream do it (laughs) do it i
4: had a i had a fago uh float when i was in uh chicago oh yeah years ago that was pretty good
2: yeah no a, a rock and rye float it makes this kind of rip pink crust on the vanilla ice cream mm. oh it's the best <laughs> <laughs>
4: all right john stay thanks for coming on and stay on the live for us and so we're going to close out the section we'll be back close out the show on get spirit normal All right, uh, you don't need the headphones now, Phil. Oh, uh, I you look,
3: want, cool, though, I them. look cool with just want to look, cool. yeah, you do look I cool the with one line, it. You know, do DJ you about thing? to do some
4: freestyle for us.
3: Turn my headphones
1: up. You <laughs> turn <laughs> <them> up,
4: bro. <laughs> you, you just make the beats. <laughs> that was an awesome interview. Yes, yeah, I like very job. awesome. Yeah, I'm all like, oh man, we we covered a we covered a ton of ground in that. Like that was everything from conspiracy theory all the way to the paranormal so that's the very definition of this show yeah yeah um rob you said that you had some kind of weird thing that you were going to yeah, talk about
0: S- sunday night i was at work and i went out in the park and i looked up and there was this it looked like a shooting star you know the whole thing only lasted probably less than a second but it looked like a normal shooting star and then it like slowed down and then flared up and then shot forward again and disappeared and it was like just hmm. bizarre, almost like I don't know how to like um like it hit a uh, like something hit like atmosphere and then slowed down and flared up, or I don't know how to describe it. it was just bizarre looking though I never seen anything like it. like I've seen shooting stars and this yeah that's what it looked like yeah. at first, and then it just like got really slowed down and got really big for a second and then shrunk and sped back up,
1: weird.
3: Well, was, flaring up kind of sounds like a meteorite. That's what I thought, but then like
0: the slowing down and speeding
3: up was just strange. It is yeah, strange. really oh. strange. Well, you're next to the Scientology center, so that's true. It's- yeah, that one might
4: have been Lord Zenu <laughs> spying on him. <them.
1: laughs> what that was.
4: <laughs> that is weird, though, dude. I, I've yeah, I've strange. never had an experience like that. I've never seen anything weird like that in the sky. Yeah, weird lights. Never.
3: No, no, no? That's
0: the weirdest thing I've ever seen in the sky. Well, other one time, uh, also near downtown, I saw an airplane flying above town, and I saw something like um, flaming or sparking fall off of it. And it immediately did one ninety degree turn, then another 90-degree turn and went back towards the airport. And I never heard anything about it. What? Like, I checked the news the next day. Like, there was nothing about anything like that. But that was bizarre. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh. I've seen some lights, but I met someone this week who uh, I was telling her about the podcast and stuff, and she was telling me about, I guess, I think going to her grandparents' home. They had some land, and she was there with her, think, mom and her uncle, and and the grandma was like, oh, remember that time we saw that UFO? And it was like full-fledged uh, saucer, like almost landing <laughs> in the backyard type experience not Damn. just light but like craft
4: like that was in here in
3: Nashville uh no i think this was around memphis but uh Whoa. You know, this was like her mom her her mom or grandma's and uncle's story from back in the day but it was like a you know straight up saucer not wow. just a light you know that's so that was pretty weird cuz she was real kind of she was kind of a skeptic you know, yeah. she's like, well, it's kind of weird. My mom said blah, blah, blah. You know, I was like, wow. That's what we were talking about when people yeah. come up with
4: some kind of they tell you, well, I've never had anything the most really skeptical weird people happen to the me. You know, weirdest experience. Well, it's like, you know, Rob did that. I mean, like he, that was a, that episode that we did, I think that first episode with uh, Jeff and Renee when you're still doing the leisure hour. Mm hmm. And, like, you were talking about um, how you never had any really weird experiences except for this one time. And he pulls out, like, the weirdest (laughs) experience that I've ever heard of, man. Like, just, like, the craziest thing. And so, I I guess, did you not think that it was, like, weird at the time? Or did you just forget about it? No, it's just,
0: I don't know. I didn't really see anything. And I was, you know, I was laying down... By myself in the dark, and it was—I don't know—I still don't think it's that weird. It is, and I was really creeped out at the time. What is it? What I, is it? Okay, I, I, I had—I had.
4: Oh, you've never heard this.
3: I don't—I don't recall. Maybe. At the time,
0: I—I I, I shared a, uh, a bedroom with two brothers on one end of the house, uh-huh. and I had—I had come in like I think I—I I hadn't been home. I'd come in and I—I I went pretty much straight in, lay down, went to bed. I was laying there for a while and I couldn't fall asleep, so I was like. Said something to uh, my brother across the room. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pass out tonight. I, You know, I'm not really that tired, even though it's late. And um, I I just kept getting these, like, one-word responses, like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, okay, cool. Like, you know, as I was kind of rambling, finally I was like, fuck it. I got up and uh, walked out into the living room, and everybody, I mean, my whole family was out there watching TV. And as soon as I walked in like they all looked at me like are you okay you know what's wrong and I was just like I must have just went white like uh I yeah I'm fine I'm just going to sit down and watch TV with you guys like so I I wasn't tired so I can't really chalk it up to being tired but it was like it was uh, it was I don't know I get goosebumps telling the story even now like it was just bizarre and it was just one or two little like short like Response. It wasn't a conversation or anything, but it's
3: yeah, yeah. You uh, heard. I heard something. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's that's
4: that's fascinating. I don't.
3: I don't know whether I'd be more scared seeing because I've my only ghostly encounters are like seeing something kind of poltergeisty, and then what I thought was being touched by something. So I don't know if I would be more afraid of. Of uh, something talking or seeing <laughs> right. something, I don't know that because the talking makes it even more creepy. Because without seeing, you know, it's I don't know, I don't know, it's equally creepy. It's so, also
4: possible too in that in Rob's experience that uh, you may have been between sleeping and
3: yeah, yeah, and dreaming. I may mm-hmm. also
4: have been very high, but oh, okay,
0: I was. Well, <laughs> I thought you were like a
4: little little kid. No, no,
0: right? I, I I was probably. Well, let's see.
4: But still, though, twelve
0: altered oh, 12, state. 12.
4: Yeah. Altered state. You know, anything. Twelve. Vibrant. No,
0: I guess I wouldn't have been high though, no, <laughs> because I would have been about twelve. So I don't know. I don't know.
4: Yeah, I mean, an altered. That's. I mean, when you're in between that that in kind of like in between your waking and sleeping, that's the an menality. altered state in and of itself, you know? So yeah. where all the sleep paralysis phenomenon. Yeah. Have. Like I said, it, so was it dark could be I was something very similar to that. Laying there with my
0: eyes closed for a while. Yeah. It could have been some weird just auditory hallucination. Like I expected a response. I don't know. I've also chalked it up to, it's gotta be something. I don't think it was like, I don't think my house was haunted because there's never any other experiences. Nothing ever
4: else happened. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of haunted houses, I have this special for Halloween, a, the first, and among other, the first uh, haunted house story ever, ever, and this is uh, written by Pliny the Younger, who lived between AD 62 and circa AD 113, so we're talking the time of the Roman Empire. Nearly two thousand years ago, and this uh, I want to get you guys thoughts on on this. Uh, thought this was just just would be interesting to read. The present recess from business, we are now enjoying affords you leisure to give and me to receive instruction. I am extremely desirous, therefore, to know whether you believe in the existence of ghosts and that they have a real form and are a sort of divinities, are only the visionary impressions of a terrified imagination. What particularly inclines me to believe in their existence is a story which I heard of Curtius Rufus. When he was in low circumstances and unknown in the world, he attended the governor of Africa into that province. One evening, as he was walking in the public portico, there appeared to him the figure of a woman of unusual size and of beauty more than human. And as he stood there, terrified and astonished, she told him she was the tutelary power that presided over Africa and was come to inform him of the future events of his life, that he should go back to Rome to enjoy high honors there and return to that province invested with the proconsular dignity and there should die. Every circumstance of this prediction actually came to pass. It is said farther that upon his arrival at Carthage as he was coming out of the ship, the same figure met him upon the shore. It is certain, as, at least, that being seized with a fit of illness, though there were no symptoms in, this, in, in his case that led those about him to despair, he instantly gave up all hope of recovery, judging apparently the truth of the future part of the prediction by what had already been fulfilled and of the approaching misfortune from his former prosperity. Now, the following story, which I'm going to tell you just as I heard it, is it not more terrible than the former, while quite as wonderful? There was at Athens a large and roomy house, which had a bad name, so that no one could live there. In the dead of the night, a noise resembling the clashing of iron was frequently heard, which, if you listened more attentively, sounded like the rattling of chains, distant at first but approaching nearer by degrees. Immediately afterwards, a specter appeared in the form of an old man of extremely emaciated and squalid appearance, with a long beard and disheveled hair, rattling the chains on his feet and hands. The distressed occupants, meanwhile, passed their wakeful nights under the most dreadful terrors imaginable. This as it broke their rest, ruined their health, and brought on distempers, their terror grew upon them, and death ensued. Even in the daytime, though the spirit did not appear, yet the impression remained so strong upon their imaginations that it still seemed before their eyes and kept them in perpetual alarm. Consequently, the house was at length deserted as being deemed absolutely uninhabitable so that it was now entirely abandoned to the ghost. However, in hopes that some tenant might be found who was ignorant of this very alarming circumstance, a bill was put up giving notice that it was either to be let or sold. It happened that Athenodorus, the philosopher, came to Athens at this time and, reading the bill, inquired the price. The extraordinary cheapness raised his suspicion, nevertheless... When he heard the whole story, he was so far from being discouraged that he was more strongly inclined to hire it, and in short, actually did so. When it grew towards evening, he, uh, he ordered a coach to be prepared for him in the front part of the house, or a couch, and after calling for a light, together with his pencil and, ta- and tablets, directed all his people to retire. But that his mind might not, for want of employment, be open to the vain terrors of imaginary noises and spirits, he applied himself to riding with the utmost attention. The first part of the night passed an entire silence, as usual. As usual a length of, at length, a clacking of iron and rattling of chains was heard. However, he neither lifted up his eyes nor laid down his pen, but in order to keep calm and collected, tried to pass the sounds off to himself as something else. The noise increased and advanced nearer, till it seemed at the door and at last in the chamber. He looked up, saw and recognized the ghost exactly as it had been described to him. It stood before him, beckoning with the finger, like a person who calls another. Athenodorus, the in reply, made a sign with his hand that he should wait a little and threw his eyes again upon his papers. The ghost then rattled its chains over the head of the philosopher who looked up upon this and seeing it beckoning as before immediately arose and light in hand followed it. The ghost slowly stalked along as if unencumbered, with it as if encumbered with its chains, and turning into the area of the house, suddenly vanished. Athenodorus, being thus deserted, made a mark with some grass and leaves on the spot where the spirit left him. The next day he gave information to the magistrates and advised them to order that spot to be dug up. This was accordingly done, and the skeleton of a man in chains was found there, for the body having lain a considerable time on the ground, was putrefied and mouldered away from the fetters. The bones being collected together were publicly buried, and thus after the ghost was appeased by the proper ceremonies, the house was haunted no more. This story, I believe, upon the credit of others, is what I'm going, going to mention. I give you upon my own. I have a f- freedman named Marcus who is by no means illiterate. One night as he and his younger brother were lying together, he fancied he saw somebody somebody upon his bed who took out a pair of scissors and cut off the hair from the top part of his own head. And In the morning, it appeared his hair was actually cut and the clippings lay scattered about the floor. A short time after this, an event of a similar nature contributed to give credit to the former story. A young lad of my family was sleeping in his apartment with the rest of his companions when two persons clad in white came in, as he says through the windows, cut off his hair as he lay and then returned the same way they entered. The next morning it was found that this boy had been served just as the other and there was his hair again, spread about the room. Nothing, nothing remarkable indeed followed these events. So there's actually three stories there. You have the, the guy who's getting the predictions about his life from some specter. You have the uh, ghost in the house, enc- encumbered in chains, that uh, shows basically shows the philosopher where he's buried and they dig him up and that stops. And the third one is interesting because that almost sounds like an alien abduction kind of scenario to me. Mm-hmm. Because he's got the figures in white walking in and cutting, coming through the windows, cutting this hair and leaving.
3: (laughs) And it's coming. It's familiar to us, I think, because it's coming from people of a similar, uh, you know, civilization with that rationalistic philosophy, trying to figure it out, whether, you know, people who were skeptical. Uh, you know, about things, the upper crust of those people were, you know, pretty rationalistic and empirical. Yeah, Pliny, Pliny was one of those guys
4: that uh, were kind of a scientist of his day. Yeah. Even though their kind of their knowledge was kind of really limited.
3: Yeah, but. but yeah, that's,
4: that's pretty interesting. But that's the first haunted house story from 2,000 years ago. So happy Halloween, everybody. Wow. Uh, Rob, you kind of had an announcement you wanted to make. Oh
0: yeah, we, uh, my girlfriend Alyssa and I have started a business. We are officially open for sewing and upholstery needs here in the greater Nashville area.
4: Um, are, called- if people have needs somewhere else, somewhere else, could they commission you guys and get mailed to them, or um?
0: possibly most of the time you need whatever it is you're working on to um be able to tear it apart and create a pattern and uh fix it but we're also going to start doing a a few other things um like amp covers um Alyssa wants to do some guitar straps you you can check all this out we got a facebook page we haven't started a full web page yet but it's old hickory sewing and upholstery
4: Nice. And if they get something done, it'll be done here in the same studio we record Conspiracy Normal. Yeah, well. <laughs> Oddly enough,
3: we'll I bet it was psychic energy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, that Conspiracy Normal psychic energy. All right, guys. Um, we were going to have Nick Redfern on for the next episode, but he had to reschedule. So uh, the next show will actually be Jenny Ashford again. And we're going to talk about. The cases from the Faceless Villain Part Two that are from the seventies, and I was reading. Uh, I'm actually digging into 1970, and I've already found stuff that I want to talk about. So cool. that uh, should be more should be interesting. Maybe we can do another Patreon episode. And Rob, uh, tell everybody where they can find our Patreon.
0: Yeah, go to patreoncom slash Tons of bonus content on their episodes. Uh, posted another new one this week um in various tiers you can subscribe to if you don't subscribe you can also do a one-time donation at our website at conspiranormal.com and if you want to help the show just tell your friends about us or give us a five-star review on wherever you listen
4: that means a lot to us all right guys thank you so much and we'll be back next time on Conspiranormal. conspiranormal happy halloween